Hello, welcome to another Adaptable. I am one half of your expert video game and pop culture experts. I guess I sort of repeated myself there. But hi, I'm Matt Monagle, and I'm joined as always by my buddy, Brock. Brock, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Brock, and I I worry that sometimes promising that this is going to be exciting is promising too much, but people seem to be enjoying it, so not going to shit on the show from the start. Love to start an intro that has uh, one fuck up on words and then one fuck up on our our emotional stability. Like, welcome to the show. It's good to have you listening. (laughs) So the most important thing about um, today's show, though, is that we're going to be talking about dinosaurs, and we'll get to that in a second. So we don't really need to do the heavy lifting. The dinosaurs will literally do the heavy lifting for us. Um, But if this is your first episode of Adaptable, just as a reminder, I am a professional film and television critic. Brock is a professional television film, but primarily a video game critic. And we are covering some of the board game adaptations of some of our favorite IPs. So that can mean anything from, you know, one of our previous episodes was an indie game that uh, Brock hated and I loved. You should go listen to that episode. Uh, This Little War of Mine, it's, it's a great, well... It's a great board game, maybe if you're me. Um, but we've also talked about some big television shows like Game of Thrones. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about Jurassic Park. We've talked about The Thing. If it's an IP that you're interested in and if it exists primarily as a film, a television show, or a video game before a board game, we're going to talk about it and we're going to see how the adaptation worked. Anything Especially in this in time Brock? period where like there's a there seems to out of nowhere just be a lot of things being transitioned from previous IPs. And, and of course, my... My big question is always like, why do we make a board game out of a video game, which I saw this week that they're doing a board game of uh, Metal Gear or Metal Gear Solid. And I was just like, it looks like there's a thousand pieces and it's a big Euro style thing. And I was like, I can't I can't even imagine what it's going to be. I can't wait to, to make us do that uh, in, a, in a, a little bit of tangential board game success news. Uh, I managed to uh, kickstart back Gotham uh, City Chronicles. Do you know what that is? Yeah, I'm vaguely aware. That's been around forever, right? Well, it's uh, it's a game that they uh, it's a game that was kickstarted like last year, and it was only available through Kickstarter. And like now, copies of it go for like a thousand dollars on eBay because it's licensed. It's incredibly very good. And they were just like, you know what? We're gonna do another Kickstarter. It's gonna be like a season two. You can get the original base thing, but we've got a bunch of other things. And I was like, oh cool, I'll, I'll get this base game. And it turns out, um, prices on that thing. <laughs> Are, are, are not cheap, and also the the add-on kind of stuff that they had, I was like, <coughs> it would be very easy within their own Kickstarter to spend upwards of six $700 just getting some of the base stuff out of the way, and I was like, all right, I'm going to get the, the most vanilla package, which was still over like $100, and I was like, at this point, I know it, it's, it's almost an investment, like if this doesn't pan out, it can go for 10, 20 times this on eBay, so like, uh, that's that's where I'm at in board games. Like, just aware enough to know that I need to spend more money than I have. I've reached the same point here as I have with vinyl records, and it's already very upsetting. Yeah, the board game market right now is definitely, if you're one of those people that is obsessed with uh, collectibles and getting alternate versions and limited editions, and you need the steel box and the slipcover for every DVD or Blu-ray in your collection, uh, board games will be perfect for you because they will just bleed you dry financially until you have nothing left. 
And it is that same thing with vinyl records where you're like, well, if I don't get this record now and I want it later, it'll be eight times the price. Whereas like with uh, there, with a lot of these Kickstarter games, there is a, if you're not if you've never dabbled in this world, there's a lot of things that are like, oh, it's like a, a whole like story add on or like this whole set of things. And it will only ever be available through Kickstarter. And you're like, I don't know how often I'm going to play the game, but I do want the whole game. I want everything that's going to come with it. Because uh, what if I like it? And then uh, that's how I wind up uh, buying a lot of storage boxes right now in my house for like, well, here's that game and all the add-ons. And like, I don't know when I'm going to have time because right now almost all board game nights revolve around getting people together to take care of the homework we have for this show. So I've either got to get more into it or like cut myself off entirely. I love to have financial pop culture uh, problems like this. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a fun place to be. Did you well, know I have an addictive we, personality? <laughs> it, it may have come up uh, right. once or twice on the show before. Um, before we talk about the the actual board game for today's episode, let's have a little tangent on that because I am curious, Brock. What is your like? What is your breakdown of exposure to new board games? Are you like seventy percent purchase, twenty percent play at a friend's? Do you use the library or the local board game shop option? Like, how are you getting these on the table? I, I see a lot of these. We have we have some excellent like board game uh, bar hangout spots uh, in Kansas City, uh, including one that keeps getting voted best first date in the city. And I'm like, I just don't I just don't see it as a good first date spot, because like uh, especially if it turns out one of the two of you is competitive or something like it, looking at a wall of several thousand board games and being on the first date like, hey, we should pick one of these. Seems like a lot. It seems like too much. It's not walking through a blockbuster and looking at a bunch of movies. It's looking at a bunch of stuff that's like, this could be like five hours of time and we're going to have to read instructions. And like, what if we turn on each other? Like, uh, and it might require our full attention. I don't know that a lot of my exposure comes from that sort of place. But uh, I'd, I'd say probably that 50, 50 that and the the other 50 being like something pops up on on Twitter or on uh, like Kotaku or somebody's like coverage of, of games and is like, Hey, check it out. This thing's this thing's a coming, and I'm like, oh god damn it! And especially now, you and I have a a DM where it's basically just, uh, hey, you see this one's coming? Like, cool. That's gonna be an episode. I should put my order in as well. <laughs> yeah, it's really great because every time I get a notification in my DMs from you, I know it's gonna be some seventy dollar board game, like the Aliens game that you sent me, where I'm just like, ah, oh, I gotta fucking buy this. At least with today's, it costs almost nothing. Yeah, this is true. Um, this is easily the cheapest game that we have covered thus far. This is a step up from covering uh, blackjack. Like, uh, you, you, this is what? What did you pay for this? I think I paid like twenty five, thirty. Yeah, I paid nineteen ninety nine, and I saw on Board Game Geek that there were actually a couple of targets that were selling them um, on special for as low as six dollars. <laughs> so you can get this at Target. This is a Target level like thing. So this isn't something that you got to go hunt down anywhere. <laughs> No, 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 no. So, so yeah, this is a, this is, um, today we're going to talk about, uh, let's just dive into it. Today we're talking about a board game called Jurassic Park Danger, and there is definitely an exclamation point at the end of Danger, so I demand that every time we say the name, not only do we say the full name, but we also say Danger, with a little bit of an emphasis at the end. Um, right, it's good to have that to differentiate from Jurassic Park regular. Yeah, yeah, which was the much less successful version of this board game. Uh, Jurassic <laughs> Park regular. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a target exclusive. It's, it's a board game that it's an officially licensed board game that is based on, um, specifically the Jurassic Park film. 
And, you know, we are all, anybody that's listening to the show is probably basically in our same age group. So you're not really going to not know what Jurassic Park is, but we have a format, goddammit, and I'm going to stick to it. So let me tell you a little bit about Jurassic Park. Uh, Jurassic Park was originally a 1990 novel by a very popular, very famous science fiction writer, Michael Crichton. It was about a industrialist billionaire philanthropist inventor named John Hammond who built um, a an island and managed to find a way to using dino DNA uh, revitalize and, and clone um, long extinct dinosaurs and create his own theme park based on um, the fact that these dinosaurs were wandering around and people could go see them. So it was a very successful novel, um, and then it became in 1993 a very successful film. Steven Spielberg adapted the book into uh, probably one of his more successful summer blockbusters of the 1990s. Uh, it had kind of a, a um, surprisingly not super all-star cast at the time. It had a couple of people who were well-known among genre fans and a couple of up-and-comers, but Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, Richard Attenborough, of course, um, and others. This was sort of the film that put a lot of them on the map and kind of the iconic thing that'll keep them on the festival circuit for as long as It is as they weird to want. consider that when Jurassic Park came out, none of those people were known. Like, that's... Like Attenborough, and that's about it. Like, and now every one of them, including like, you know, the computer guys, are all like big famous people. Yeah, genre fans for sure knew who people like Jeff Goldblum or Sam Neill were because, you know, there were things like uh, The Fly, of course, which he'd already done, and Sam Neill had done a little bit of horror coming out of uh, his early career stuff. But these were not household names. These were not, you know, people with a million followers on Twitter. These were these were sort of actors that, that had been picked, and this movie sort of made them as well. Where, um, where was Samuel L. Jackson at in his career? Because I feel around this time he was playing a lot of, like, computer guys in things. He was this, this was the true romance era, too. So he was just sort of alternating between gangsters and computer guys, I think, was primarily where he was at in his career. Um, but yeah, so the story of Jurassic Park, as you already know, is that basically John Hammond brings some actual paleontologists to Jurassic Park to vet the accuracy and sort of the commercial viability of the park. Um, Dr. Grant and uh, Ian Malcolm, played by Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, respectively. There's also Ellie Sadler, who's played by Laura Dern. The three of them kind of immediately turn against the island and say, this is a terrible idea. You have no control over the situation. Things are going to go bad. And almost immediately, things begin to go bad. Tyrannosaurus and Velociraptors start to hunt people. Um, the I will say this is a personal distinction. I think Jurassic Park, the novel, and Jurassic Park, the film, was my earliest introduction to the idea of adaptation because I remember reading the book. Uh, 1993 I would have been about nine years old and I remember reading the book and thinking like wait a second these characters that died in the book are alive in the movie or vice versa so um, there's not a lot of differences between the two it's a pretty faithful adaptation but it was definitely one of my first experiences realizing that a movie and a book could be entirely separate identities and it was super successful and they ended up making five films Jurassic Park The Lost World Jurassic Park 3 um, or no what's the second one Jurassic Park um I can't remember. The second one has a name. Um, the third one is just Jurassic Park 3. There's The Lost World. And then there's The Lost World Fallen Kingdom, uh, which is the most recent. And based on the box office numbers of those last couple, there will continue to be Jurassic Park movies until the Hold end. Hold up. Wasn't time. Lost World 2? Is is the fifth one really Lost World Fallen Kingdom or isn't it just Fallen Kingdom? I think it's Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom. I can't remember. I used to know back in my news reporter days where I had to cross-reference every hyphen or 
uh, semicolon to get the movie titles right. But Jurassic that's not Park important Lost, here. Lost World Fallen Kingdom feels like a lot of a lot of title. Like that's too much title. <laughs> yeah, but that's also a very very you know 2018 2017 type title. So I'm not that, gonna rule that it is out. true. And and also like I I do remember Jurassic Park being my first um, uh, adaptation thing because at the end of the book. Uh, they do the right thing and they like nuke the island, uh, which obviously they weren't going to do in the movie because uh, you got to do five more movies. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. But there you go. Um, yes, yeah, so the t- the title of Jurassic World is Jurassic World semicolon Fallen Kingdom. So, all right. Um, there you go. Um, so that is the franchise. You already knew right. all of that. Hopefully, listening to us describe it was entertaining in its own right. Um, and as an officially licensed adaptation, the board game, uh, the board game has a lot of good stuff going for it. So, Brock, how does Jurassic Park Danger work? <laughs> well, it, it's it's interesting because there's been uh, a number of Jurassic Park board games over the years, and I had the original one in 1993, which is. Uh, Almost identical to this one, uh, except for some some change ups. Um, but uh, the, there's always just going to be sort of a very basic version of, of how Jurassic Park works as a board game, which is that you have the island of Isla Nubar uh, and then you have some dinosaurs and some people and, uh, you know, they move space to space and, and, and try to deal with each other. Um, this version of it, I got I, because I was looking at the old one. Uh, I thought we might do that on this show. And uh, again, that sort of childhood thing, like a fireball island, is uh, just going for insane amounts on Kickstarter. I mean, on uh, on eBay, and I was like, no, no one needs to do that. And then this uh, six dollar game came out, which uh, boy, is it fun! Um, so basically, what happens is uh, you uh, you set up the board, and you have a couple of there's there's basically twenty three spaces on the board. They're all they're all hexes. Um, you have a c- sort of central starting location for the humans. You have three of the major buildings uh, from from the movie, like the power station and stuff like that, the visitor center, uh, and then uh, those those are at uh, different points, north, east, and west uh, on the board. And at the very south is a helicopter. Uh, and so this is an asymmetrical game for between two and five people. Uh, so as two, you can play it this way, uh, and we'll get into you know how things change with more people. But uh, basically, one character plays as all the dinosaurs. Uh, there's a, there's a spitter, a raptor, and a T-Rex. There are three dinosaurs on the board, and the dinos, uh, sort of have a system of movement. Everything here is sort of, uh, based around, um, cards, uh, that you have in your hand, and those cards determine, like, how many spaces you can move, what you can do on a turn, so on and so forth. There's, there is a dice, but it's barely used in this, so it, it is sort of a card-based uh, system here. So the dinosaurs use the cards to figure out where, where they can move, whether they can move through certain terrain types, and uh, they try to attack uh, the people. Uh, and the dinosaurs win if they manage to kill uh, three or more of the human beings. Uh, the other players uh, play as uh, human characters, uh, and, so, and if you're playing two people, uh, that you, that person can take two or three human characters. You, basically, you want to have a, a, a good number of, like, three human characters playing at all times. Uh, and what they have to do is they have to go to those uh, aforementioned locations on the board uh, with the specialty buildings and sort of turn on the systems there for all for all three of those, bring the fences back up online and so on and so forth. And each time they do something like that, 
uh, it actually changes how the game is being played. Like suddenly certain areas are off limits to the dinosaurs or or so on. Uh, it, it complicates things yeah, kind of for everybody. Uh, but once all three of those are turned on, uh, the human characters try to get three characters to the helicopter and then they can take off. Now, here's the thing. Dinosaurs can attack you. Uh, and rather than taking off like health points or measuring some other system here, uh, the humans also move uh, with this sort of you have 10 cards in your hand system and you can discard things each ha- each round to be like, I, I can move this many spaces or this is where I'm going to go. Uh, when you run out of cards, your character is dead, which is an interesting thing. So when dinosaurs attack humans, the dinosaur player takes one card out of that character's hand and puts it in their discard pile. So at some point, uh, humans reach a, a place where, like, th- they're just out of options. Like, you can't move or you run out of cards, and that's when that character uh, dies. And that becomes basically a point uh, towards the three points needed for the dinosaurs to win. Uh, but the interesting thing about this is that when a human character dies, that player then just draws a new human character. So, and, and it's based on the 10 most famous characters, uh, from the movie. And you, you just get a new card with a list of your things. You get 10 new cards. You're basically starting brand new life, brand new character. And the intriguing part about this is that each of the 10 characters, uh, before they can get to the helicopter has like a secondary objective that they need to accomplish. Uh, they need to uh, visit like a certain location on the board or they need to uh, do a certain sort of action or help somebody in some way. Uh, and uh, it is once they have done that and accomplished sort of their character goal, uh, which uh, they're they're very funny and very interesting and provide this really intriguing sort of twist on however you're going to have to play these characters. They can then escape and 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 get on uh, with uh, living their lives with all the PTSD of having watched everyone they ever known and loved uh, die on a dinosaur island. Um, so that is, I think, the best breakdown I have here. It's, I think, it took me as long to describe how the game is played here as it took to read the instruction manual and know how to play. Like it is a game that you are just into. Like you you put it down the board, you flip some things over. Anyway, the map, uh, be, because these are sort of these hexes, it's it's something like 17, 18 hexes that uh, every game you sort of shuffle them, place them face down, and then flip them over. So the island is always in many ways different, uh, and there's sort of barriers like fences and things, between, like so you can't always move to the space right next to where you want to move. Anyway, it's, it's fresh and interesting in such a way that like between the characters that you draw and the way that the island is shaped, uh, there's... There is a lot of replayability just from the setup, and and it changes where you have to start from. But the idea that you can like lose characters or even sacrifice characters to be killed, uh, and then just keep restarting as new people, is such a, a fascinating way to keep everyone involved in the game the entire time. Uh, and uh, it, it is made for a lot of interesting late game uh weirdo twists in how we've played so uh is that a is this a satisfactory summary of the mechanics of the game to you yeah i think it is um and like you said i the one of the things that struck me about the game kind of out of the gate is this modular board setup where you shuffle the tiles and put them out um i'm kind of a sucker for that i've I've been a sucker for that from anything in complexity from twilight imperium all the way down to um you know some of the more simple stuff like settlers of Catan. i just i like it when 
those boards, the way that you kind of play the board, a lot is shuffles every time, which allows you to have no consistent path to victory. And in this case, I mean a literal path, like no specific route that your human characters can run or your dinosaur characters can run. You know, that's sort of the the challenge um, of something like chess per se is that like there you kind of the first couple of moves dictate how the entire game goes but when you have a modular board i think it does a good job of, of sort of solving for that uh, i and, will add and the board, to what the board you itself said is too. even with within the modular setup uh the the outline of it is is the island and you put these mods within it and even the island out outline breaks down so this whole game fits into a box much smaller than like how large of a board game it actually is which is which is really interesting to me yeah, and it really, you don't need to have, the the box that it comes in is actually considerably bigger than it needs to be as well. Um, I think you could probably slide all of this into carry-on in your luggage if you, like when I took this game, when my um, we had some friends, we went to New Mexico for a weekend getaway, and I packed up the game and brought it with me, and that was the first time that I played it. Um, this could fit in a thing, large Ziploc bag. You're absolutely right. <laughs> it absolutely could. Uh, one thing that I will add, though, to the rules, um, the rules are pretty simple. Once you understand the mechanics of it, I think you can plug and play pretty much with a lot of different difficulty levels and a lot of different audience ages. I do. I will say that the rule book itself is not particularly well written. There's a lot of sort of things that it doesn't address in there that you have to go seeking you, for online you, One of you them are being, you are right there were enough things that even me and my wife when yeah. we were playing two person it was like but that that disagrees with this or there's some just like gaping thing yeah it, it, we should always be reviewing how well these uh these books are written and this one is it's it's only like eight pages long maybe it's it's pretty small but there's enough like that it leaves open that you're like well that doesn't really explain how that works though yeah yeah, and the, to the point where I'll say that I think that this is not a particularly good rule book. Um, one of the mechanics in the game is that your characters, you can play cards that dictate whether they sneak or whether they climb, which are various ways for them to move around the board that aren't just run in a straight line. Um, but the game in the rules never explicitly states what happens if you decide not to take that action, even though right. cause you have to roll dice. Like Even if you successfully roll dice, um, can you can you opt not to do that? Uh, and the board, the like, which which is a pretty big deal because as your hand size dwindles down, you might just end up with like only those cards left. And if you don't know whether or not you can ignore those actions, um, strategically ignore those actions, you you are in a situation where you're like, great, like I don't I don't know if I'm going to play. So, it I did for all the playthroughs. I think it was only the very last playthrough that I did where I was like, all right, I feel comfortable with the rules. I've spent enough time on like the board game geek forums, you know reading people list edge cases edge cases that i feel like this is something i understand and that's that was one minor frustrating thing coming out of the gate is for how simple it is there are a few basic questions that are just not answered um and once you have those you're fine but right. it's definitely <laughs> like you can read up um if you go to like the board game geek page for jurassic park danger you will be able to see some of those things that are going to frustrate you if you don't get it right like the first time that i played through i messed two or three rules up is the dinosaur and it really it really ruined that first well not the gameplay but it really ruined my ability to actually win um, it, it is alert, one of my I favorite lost. things that me and my wife experience in this is uh and and like this started with us with the thing and and certainly keeps going but uh we keep having like that first playthrough where it's like well jesus it was really easy for that one side to win and then more playthroughs in we're like oh 
actually that that rule probably means something different. And if it does not, let's just make it the house rule because uh, otherwise right. uh, this game doesn't make any sense. I love I love uh, I, I do kind of appreciate those first uh, fuck up rounds where you're like, uh, I, I, I think we did something wrong here because the game ended in five minutes. Well, let's start kind of um, a little bit with the the pieces in the board itself because we're talking about sort of the modular thing. But I think um, the biggest thing that this game has going for it, uh, which is not a knock against the other parts of it, but the theme on this game is is spot on. And I think that's, that's kind of the difference um, in a lot of what we're going to talk about in the show is that idea of theme and how important theme is because there are other games that are basically ripoffs of the Jurassic Park IP. Um, there's a game that um, has come out called Dino Genesis, which is basically just um, like Sim Park, but you're creating a dinosaur park and, and doing some other stuff. And I think the argument for fans of that is like, oh, it's a much more complex and interesting game. But like the theme on this, the design elements, the, the character cards and all of those sort of things, uh, I think are, are really strong. And like when you sit down and you play this, like you feel like you're playing Jurassic Park. Right. Yeah, I have Dino Genesis too, and and just like most of the Jurassic Park video games have been over the years, they just want to do like a, a sim theme park thing, and you know, develop your your DNA research and things like that. And it is that is very interesting. This this is the movie, and uh, this captures the movie and the characters very well. And that's, I mean, I guess that's what I'm looking for from this game. <laughs> Yeah, and you mentioned before that each character has its own um, unique win condition. Uh, as you were playing through them, is there is there anyone, and, and it, it is exactly who you'd expect, like if they have a name in the movie, um, all the way down to Dennis Nedry and Sam Jackson's character, uh, they do get a card in the, the game. You can't play as them. Is there one character that sort of stood out to you? Uh with the the win conditions on uh on Hammond and on Dennis Nedry uh, were so interesting because for Hammonds, I, I think I've got this right. Uh, basically, you actually start with your win condition uh, accomplished, but if anyone else dies, then you lose your win condition and you can't really get it back. So that character, you kind of then are like, well, I should just sacrifice this character or send them off to do something because they can't get on the helicopter. And I believe Dennis Ned raises the same way where you... You also start with, uh, you've got your sort of like win condition tile. You're ready to go to the helicopter as soon as you can. But if uh, Dennis Nedry is ever in the same square with a dinosaur, he loses that. Like, this is like a coward's move, uh, which I just, I was like, these are these are so good for what the characters are and what weird little uh, game tweaks. And, and, and what, in addition to these win conditions that are separate, uh, each of these characters also have sort of amongst their hand of 10 cards, which... We'll get into the cards here again in a second, but like that controls your movement and your options for what to do. But each character also has one or two little cards that are like, you know, the the little girl who can hack a, a Linux system, a Unix system like she she knows how to hack things. And so you can play that card uh, at some point to like help somebody else out of a tough spot or something like that. It was just like, these are all so good. Like we were laughing while playing this first couple of rounds. It's like, Oh, isn't that cool? And then it was still like fun and funny, like six, seven rounds in. Cause it was like, uh, by that time, like you sort of knew the win conditions and some of the special skills. And like, even as the dinosaur, I was like, okay, 
I know what I'm up against with you now, and like I'm gonna try to just, like I'm gonna try and get into a space with Nedry as quickly as possible to ruin all your chances on this. Like that's fun right. for me. Uh, so any, any particular ones good for you? Yeah, I think um, I think the ones that start with their win conditions and oppose, you know, like you said, some of the characters have to achieve their win condition, and some characters can only lose their win condition that they start with. Uh, Hammond is a good example of that because. The dinosaurs win if they kill, if they eliminate three humans. And if you have John Hammond and somebody dies, then you immediately lose two characters back to back. Um, well, so I, but it, I mean, Hammond doesn't die. And what you can do is like send him off to some random corner of the board where, you know, he's going to get eaten. But along the way, like he activates the visitor center or something. And you're like, OK, oh, yeah. well, you know, I used him for something first, at least. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, there's sort of um, because of the way that the game is played out because you have this finite number of cards in your hand, you know, you you have to make your peace with the fact that the humans that you start the game with, probably at least one of them, if not both of them, are going to die. So the first wave of humans on the board are just there to sort of like turn all the shit back on so that the second wave can potentially survive. Because you do have to, each of the three locations on the board, um, the visitor center, the maintenance shed, and um, the other one, I can't remember which one that is, but you have to turn them on. You have to basically restore power to them just by standing on the square and rolling dice um and in order for characters to actually be able to leave so yeah like if you have somebody like hammond like yes if another character dies before hammond dies while he's on the board then he dies too so you're basically fucked twice over by this one kill but you can also just basically send him on a suicide mission to turn stuff back on so that the other character might be able to slip away and escape while he's kind of focused on getting the power back on. So those characters are interesting to me. I think my favorite character in this game is um, Gennaro, the blood-sucking lawyer, because <laughs> his thing his thing is that he loses if he, he dies. He's immediately eliminated if he uh, is attacked once. But he has some special cards in his deck that allow him to basically move of space when he's attacked um, as a way of getting away from that. It cancels the attack, and he gets to move instead. So he kind of has a short shelf life and that like if you burn through the cards that he has to defend himself, he's just dead and he's going to die. But the ability to get basically two moves a turn out of that is pretty powerful. So if you're, if you can use him to good ends immediately, uh, he's a pretty powerful little character. So I'm going to talk about the, the sort of the cards here. Cause we're in, we're in that, um, you, each each character has these 10 cards and there is sort of a perhaps one of the most complicated systems in the game here is as aforementioned these cards all also equate to like the amount of life that you have but also each character has to be able to move uh, every turn even if they don't move uh, and also you have like a discard pile but also a burn pile and there are things that can allow you to get some cards back from your discard pile but never anything from your burn pile and you can also burn a card permanently to change a dice roll once uh, or add like a, a point or two to it. Um, it. At the end of it, it's it's very complicated. And like, yes, you do have to make peace with the fact that a lot of your characters won't survive uh, the first round because basically from the starting point, if you sent a character just to walk directly to the helicopter, not that you could because they have to go other places first and turn these things on and like do their own little side missions and then head to the helicopter heading straight to the helicopter is six spaces. And I don't think any character has six movement cards in their hand. Uh, so you, the, it becomes a game of trying to manage how to play cards and get cards back 
in such a way that you don't wind up stranded because the number of times I had a character that I was like, I don't know, maybe they have four cards left, but none of them will do anything to move. And like, they're not going to get to the helicopter and we're in the late stage game. And I was just, uh, once or twice, I just like sort of, uh, ended my game. I was like, you know what, uh, this character, there, uh, there's no reason for me to sit around here. Like with, uh, like when, when you just have like a rook left, uh, with somebody's king, uh, in uh, in chess, and it's just the two of you constantly moving, one space each, and you're like, well, this 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 will never end. Like, there's no way out of this. Um, that's sort of that position. You're like, I I guess I could futz around with having this character try to do something, but I'm not going to get those cards back, and they can't move, which is it is both the interesting part and the frustrating part of a game that doesn't have any dice rolls because there's never the ability to go like more than two spaces, uh, and and it is impossible for your character to basically make it from start of game to end of game unless you've really recycled some of your cards in a way that you've probably had to use skill cards from other characters that are now dead it's it's tricky in a way that yeah when you sit down and look at the math of just the number of spaces like well how are you supposed to win because i don't see it (laughs) yeah and there are there are some small ways you can game that so one thing that happened to me when i was playing um, 1v1 on the game is that basically I had a character who had locked themselves into um, one of the one of the visitors I think the visitor center and you know once you open all the different territories you actually can prevent the dinosaurs from going into human-owned spaces it's sort of you know thematically you've turned on the power and so now those places are on lockdown and dinosaurs can't get in um, but basically I spent the entire an entire good 15 minutes with this character where he was hiding in a space that a dinosaur couldn't get into because the place was on lockdown and I didn't have any really any cards I think I had like two cards left in my hand so he was on paper two card two turns away from dying Um, but what I would do is I kept playing these um, climb cards that had like you in order to use the action on the card you have to roll like a four or higher and I would just fail the roll and if you fail the roll you don't discard the card it goes right back into your hand um, so I just basically sat there, luckily failing my role and extending his life. But then the dinosaur player countered that. Andrea, uh, I was playing this one with my wife. Uh, I use her name sometimes to make sure she listens. But she countered <laughs> that by taking the Dilophosaurus, the spitter, up there and basically just like spitting at me from an adjacent square until eventually that character died. I don't know if that's the exciting gameplay <laughs> that the designers of Jurassic Park Danger had in mind is like one character doing their best to fail roles so that they couldn't move while another character waits alternating turns to use their special ability and like attack them through the fence. But that was the game that she and I were playing versus my wife. I, I had one character that like I, I needed one more character to get to the helicopter and that character was stuck in, uh, in like the power center uh, and she was the dinosaurs. So she just put dinosaurs around the power center. And one of the things about humans is that they can't really move into a space that has a dinosaur. So my person just couldn't move anywhere. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I guess this is the end of the game then. Like, I, we, yeah, we, we, you've run out of places where you could move. <laughs> well, you can move into the square of the dinosaur. You're just going to get smacked in the mouth for it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's one of my strategic things was sometimes where you're just like, I'm going to run the gauntlet of dinosaurs and hope I have enough cards to survive that. Um, right. When, when you're looking down at three and you know that you're already five spaces from the helicopter and you're like, 
Well, yes. there's no there's no possible resolution here. Like a, this is this is a game that you can see yourself losing from from a ways out sometimes and be like, you know what? Yeah, let's start again. I you 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 take this round. <laughs> yeah, I definitely there there have some of the games I was playing with Andrea. It was clear that I was going to lose, but she was having such a good time beating me that I did not want to take that away from her. So, <laughs> well, uh, to that you're, point, you're a better though, husband many, than I. <laughs> no, I just I just know where to pick up small wins. Um, <laughs> losses actually. Well, losses for me, it wins for me too. How many uh, how many different uh, group sizes did you play this with? Because like you said, this is designed for two to five, but like most games we play, there's really some group sizes are far better than others. Uh, I I got to do uh, all the levels this time around, so I feel pretty good about this episode because haven't haven't pulled that off before. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, was there a favorite in your play that that worked best for you in your group? Uh, you know, it's at the one on one level. Uh, at the one-on-one level with my wife playing three human characters and me playing three dinosaurs, uh, it was very difficult to tell at first. I was like, I feel like that there are some huge balance issues with this game. Uh, but then I, in looking at it in that situation, I was like, well, no, it's just that sometimes uh, it becomes very easy for one group over the other group. Or uh, more accurately, what happens is that, like, you know... Uh, I think a thing that you'll notice is that uh, when you're playing as the uh, dinosaurs, the humans manage to get everything turned on real goddamn quick. Like, it seems like there's two halves to the game. It's it's getting the stuff turned on, it's getting the helicopter. And sometimes you're like two turns in and everything's turned on and you're like, this was not going how it should be going. Uh, but then when it comes time for them to have to do all that movement to get towards the helicopter and now that their offenses turned out and stuff... Uh, Sometimes that game uh, switches over very, very quickly to, uh, to giving the dinosaurs the power. Uh, and you're like, oh, maybe this game was overpowered in, in my direction. Because, like, yeah, you're looking at their cards and, and just like, it's impossible for you to actually make it out of here. Like, I don't see how it's going to pan out. So at, at one-to-one, I was like, these, the, it's, it feels weirdly unbalanced, but it, it just was like a game-by-game situation. And maybe that, that that's good. Like, I, I was interested and intrigued by that. When you got up into uh, like five, uh, it's just it's too many people on, it, it, with one each person playing like one person. That's four different human characters going for three different things, and with three dinosaurs trying to track them, it's it's too many people to try and bring down because everyone essentially has because they have ten cards, they have sort of ten hit points, and those go down the longer that they're out there. But like. If everyone just rushes the helicopter at that point, there's not much you can do. Uh, get maybe one of them, and then that person restarts, and then they do, like you said, just the rush for the helicopter, and and who cares? Uh, you're not gonna beat that. So at that level, like I, it was one of the it was one of the rare ones here that I'm like, uh, more isn't always fun, but everything else in between there was was really fun. Basically, basically, if uh, if you have three human characters, no matter how many actual players are playing. Uh, which is is interesting because you like everything is so simple in terms of movement and sort of like planning. In fact, I, my my wife pointed out that it was uh, perhaps easier uh, in the one on one because you didn't have to take any time to like figure out with the other players like what the strategy was. Because she's like, I know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna like set these three characters out and doing it. And I was like, well, okay. Like she took as much time to plan out what she was doing as it took me to plan out what a couple of dinosaurs were doing, and she was playing for three people. Uh, 
so yeah, there there is something interesting about that. Like it, the the three humans is a good sweet spot for three dinosaurs because I don't know the the one to one on that is is sort of interesting. And then you know having to be a dinosaur uh, person and decide like you know what I'm just gonna go we're gonna go after these two and I'm gonna let that one person just do what they're gonna do and like uh, is that a better use of my time or should everyone be stuck to something like uh, there's 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 a lot happening there. I I, I still it. Every game feels like you can tell pretty quickly who's going to win. And that that feels odd because it, it, there's nothing about it that should change that. Like the uh, the way that the hexes uh, and the, the board is randomized, uh, the spaces that dinosaurs are supposed to start on are marked on certain spaces. Uh, and and I had things where dinosaurs started on opposite ends of the board. I also had one where all the dinosaurs just started in the spaces directly around where the humans started. It was like, well, here we go. We're just going to open with a feeding frenzy uh, and see uh, where things shake out from there. Um, I don't know. It is an odd game. It is... Uh, yeah, at, at, at each level, there's there's pros and minuses, but I think that is, as long as you stick to that sort of three humans versus three dinosaurs thing, you're going to have a good time. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's important. Um, the game on paper tells you that if you play 1v1, it is three dinosaurs versus two humans. This does not work. Um, <laughs> having, having, done this, having done this a couple of times, it is just it's extremely difficult. Uh, and if you like a challenge, I would go for it. Like if your idea is you want to see if you can get these two humans to survive and get out, um, I, I certainly didn't have it happen, but I came close on multiple occasions to getting one human off the board, which is 50% of the human's win condition. So I think that if you are playing this recreationally, if you're playing this to have fun, um, then you should probably house rule it now and say that even 1v1, it's three dinosaurs versus three humans. That balances it a bit better. I will say that having played it as a group of four, um, I do think that it's fun it's fine but it also kind of it weirdly to 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 what your wife was saying it really it gets bogged down in decision making and it's not it's not the kind of decision making that you're really like oh these are the decisions we make now will inform the dinosaurs for generations to come no it's basically you're just like do i do i move that to that square or that square at a very basic level uh jurassic park danger is basically just a really thematic game of checkers which isn't a bad thing at all it's just you moving pieces around the board and trying to jump over your your opposing characters or the enemy um, characters but it doesn't require that much depth it doesn't require you you know it's not something like um you know even pandemic where if you decide to do one thing versus the other there can be you know uh, kind of an, an amplifier effect later in the game that could negatively impact your ability to to, to finish or win it's not that kind of a game. It's basically just moving t pieces on tiles, and it's fun, but it's less fun when everything has to be vetted by committee. So I think the optimal play here, at least in my experience, is two players, one dinosaur, one human, um, and you can either have two humans or as a challenge or three humans as a, as a good, balanced, you know, might win 50% of the time type game. Yeah, it seems like a good breakdown that those numbers check out to me. <laughs> Yep, the math the math is solid here. Um, so, what was I have I have sort of my best um, 
lost wind condition and are like my best lost in mine, which I'll talk about in a sec. But um, like, what were some of the best table moments for you? Like when were, when were those moments where you were like, oh shit, this is like really fun or super thematic or this really feels like Jurassic Park? Uh, the, a number of the little character cards and sort of like a uh, sort of bonus uh, actions that some of the characters have, like uh, Ian Malcolm has one where like in the movie, he can just uh, light up a flare and make a, 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 how in the movie he lights up the flare and then the T-Rex chases him. Uh, he can do that in the game. He can light up a flare and make any dinosaur from anywhere on the board move into his square to attack him, which is a great way to like if you have a character running for the helicopter who is about to run Dinosaur Alley uh, and just uh, make instead you make the T-Rex slide across the board and you're like, Nope, I'm actually getting in home there. There was a lot of, um, as, as much as I talk about that sometimes, like, there's the, it feels like you can see that somebody's clearly ahead, and then there's a lot of uh, second half of the game switch stuff. There were a lot of, like, uh, it boiled down to uh, a lot of, uh, one character is one or two spaces away from the helicopter with, like, two cards in their hand, and it was like, yeah, either like this is obviously they're going to die or they're going to have one of the cards in their hand that does one of these wacky things that lets them move two spaces through a dinosaur or something. And like to have that card played uh, was always just such like a big shouty moment of like, Oh my God, we did it. Like it, it, it did have that feeling of, of, of the movie itself. Where it's like, we actually um, shouldn't have been able to do what we just did there. <laughs> now are the, I might've got one of us is wrong um, by the way, because I thought flares were your, only that you could move a dinosaur from an adjacent space into your space. Are they do do they actually work at a distance as well? I uh, I might be wrong about the distance amount on it, but I know that yeah, using I might not be wrong. I feel like we moved something a, a significant distance uh, to make that work. Maybe maybe at that point a significant distance was one space. It, it mattered in in winning the game for that one. So. <laughs> Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. I'll have to check. It was, the it was also on one of those cards. I was like, why would I want to be attacked by a dinosaur? And it was like, oh, because, uh, uh, you know, team, team human. If so, you, uh, and if you're Dr. Alan Grant, you have to be attacked by a dinosaur in order to win. You have to use your flair to draw T-Rex into your space to take a <laughs> chomp out of you. That's literally how he wins his gets his win condition, which is sort of nice. Yeah. Uh, I think the the best moment that happened to me was actually on the last playthrough, um, and in kind of in a uh, in keeping with the theme of how I play these games, it's a terribly tragic moment for me. It is just like a, a terrible, terrible moment for okay. for my humans. But it was it was a good, it was a fun moment overall. So as I mentioned beforehand, um, it was actually the character of Timmy was locked in the visitor center with a Dilophosaurus trying to spit at him through the gate. Um, but he was just trying to buy time for John Hammond to escape. And it wasn't that I was going to win because I'd already lost two humans at this point in the game. So as soon as, as soon as Andrea killed Timmy, it was it, that I was going to lose, but it was for me, it was the immoral and emotional victory of being able to have one character survive. If I can get one character <laughs> off the board, at least I wasn't shut out. And what happened there is that, um, as Hammond was running, you know, your hand starts getting depleted and dinosaurs are chasing him and I'm doing the math and I'm like, oh, all right. You know, like, I think he's still got enough. He's got plenty of cards. He's only three, two spaces away from the helicopter. So provided that Timmy doesn't suddenly, you know, really mess up um, or I successfully get a roll, like Hammond will be able to escape. And what happened in that in that game for me, the way that the game ended 
was I got to the I got one space away from the helicopter pad. So all I had to do was play a run card um, for me to be able to be there. And then Andrea chomped him with a dinosaur. I was like, all right, hold up my cards. Like, go ahead and draw a card. And she took the last run card that I had in my deck. Um, she didn't know this at the time, but I had to discard the only run card that I had. So what happened at the end of the game for me was basically John Hammond couldn't run the one more space he needed, so he had to sneak instead. And sneak is a mechanic in the game that basically says, I'm not going to move until my next turn. So he snuck, which means he didn't get to move until his next turn. And that was the turn that Timmy died, which automatically meant that John Hammond died, which means that although the dinosaurs needed to kill three characters, they actually managed to kill four. So not only did I not get one point, they got one more point. Andrea got one more point than she needed. It's about as devastating a loss as you can have happen to one of those games. That is the most most monogal story I've ever heard. <laughs> this is the way that I play board games, apparently. Like, not only do I not win, I find new and interesting ways to lose. The dinosaurs won by more points than there were points to give. Oh, my God. Right. Well, so much for loss. your moral win. <laughs> Just wipe the board. That's all I was looking for. I just had one character. Just John. And, I, you know, John fucking Hammond of all characters. Um, he's the guy that's going to get out. Everybody else is going to die, but John Hammond's going to survive. I'm like, whatever, fine. Um, but nope, nope. He ended up stuck one space away, having to sneak instead of running. And then on the next turn, before I got to actually make his move, the dinosaurs went chomp, chomp. Um, Timmy died. Hammond died. Game was over. Andrea looked at me and said, that was fun. And I went, God damn it. <laughs> It's about the little losses in a marriage, the little tiny yeah. losses. Like uh, I would said, you, I, would you, <laughs> I won and lost at the same time. Would you advise that people buy this game? What do you think? What are your final thoughts on it? Oh, I, I guess, sorry, it's it's two form. If you're a fan of the movie, do you like this? And if you're a fan of games, would you like this? <laughs> Good questions. Um, I think that if you're a fan of the film, this is sort of a no-brainer. Um, and I think it's a no-brainer for, for two reasons. You know, sometimes I probably of the two of us i'm the person that that weighs complexity of games um a little bit more in my factor like if i sit down if i block off an evening and bring people over to play a board game god damn it i want to like sink my teeth into something so complexity is usually a challenge for me but i think that this is so strong on theme and i think it's so cheap on price honestly it's such a big factor the fact that you can pick this up for 19.99 at a target near you um I think that that's, I think those two things make it a game that is worth it, even knowing as you pick it up that this is a, this is your family friendly game. Like this is the game that you break out when you go with like a family reunion or something. And one of your people's like, Hey, let's play a board game. We have Monopoly. And you're like, I'm not going to fucking play Monopoly, but I have this dinosaur game, which is very easy and you'll all enjoy it because it's Jurassic Park themed. Uh, and we can play it a couple of times and it'll be fun. So I think if you're a fan of the Jurassic Park franchise, like this is a this is a pretty simple game, um, and it seems to be that the developer Ravensburger seems to be they have another one coming out that's I believe also a Target exclusive that's a Jaws game where your one person plays the shark and a couple of different people play people in the boat. They seem to be sort of cornering the market of games that are not very heavy, but are really thematically strong and fun for what they are. Um, and so not only do I recommend this, I think you should probably just sort of keep an eye on all the themed, all the Ravensburger licensed games that are going to come out and target over the next couple of years. Because I think they're they're on to like knowing that the that the boggles and the saris of the world are not as not what people are looking for anymore. And there's sort of a mid gear 
there that they can latch onto and really call their own. Who would have um, guessed so that the uh, Ravensburger puzzle people would be the ones to make board games where you have to put a bunch of pieces together to play them? Correct. They still found a way to make a puzzle. Um, what do you think, Brock? Jurassic Park fans, are they into this? I I mean, I was going to say, like, you know, it's it's for a board game fan, I, I have the opposite thing when I have people coming over because, like, I don't want to sink my teeth into that much on board game night. I'd rather have a game that when we get done, we're like... I would like to play again now, uh, which uh, with some of the meteor ones, it's like, yeah, I, I do not. That took a long time and it, it was a lot. This is so easy and so fun. Uh, but also, like, uh, I, I love I love how much of it like imbues for as simple of a, of a game it is uh, within the, you know, the world of board games, even though it's a little bit of a ramp up to get started. Uh, the fact that the the characters are imbued into how you have to play uh, between their special cards and their win conditions and stuff, I was going to say, like, this might be a thing that I would have a slight hesitation on for people that weren't fans of Jurassic Park because a lot of this wouldn't make any sense. And then I was like, who the fuck hasn't seen Jurassic Park? So why would I need to right. even mention that? Uh, it, yeah, for a game that costs about as much as it costs to rent Jurassic Park, the movie on Amazon right now, like... Yes. Yeah. This is a this is an absolute recommend. Like this is something that like I'm excited to pull out, and uh, I'm I'm sure we'll get a lot of play in the future. And while you're talking, how about for board game fans? Are they going to be into this one? I I mean, it it seems like we are we are often different kinds of board game fans, and I I I like this. This was a five minute setup, and you know it could be a thirty minute or less game, and I just. I loved getting in just a, a bunch of rounds of it, but like, uh, I, I don't know if you're looking for a more substantial thing, then maybe look at, uh, like the dino genetics game that we brought up earlier or other, you know, bigger, wilder, more complicated things. This is, it is checkers. It is, it is a version of checkers with a, a lot of character imbued in it and, and people being eaten by dinosaurs. I, I don't know what else I could want. That's it's, it's totally up my alley. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm actually going to agree with you there. Um, maybe a little surprisingly is that I do think that this is a good a good game for board game fans because, you know, I I think that that one thing that we want to keep in mind sometimes is you know we want to be able to play board games with people that aren't necessarily board game players. Like I had a conversation at work the other day with um, one of my coworkers. I've only been there for a few months, so they're still starting to get to know me a little bit. But you know, they were like, "Oh, what are you doing this weekend?" I was like, "Oh, I'm having a board game night," and they kind of looked at me and they were like. So like people are coming over and playing Monopoly and I was like, oh no, there's a, there's a whole world of complexity with board games. I was like, and let me describe just because sometimes I like to start with too much information. I was like, let me tell you a little bit about this war of mine, a game I played this weekend. My characters died because they were depressed because they couldn't eat anymore. And they were like, that sounds like fun question mark. I was like, it's awesome. So I think it's important. You you must be so fun in an icebreaker situation at a new office. Oh yeah. (laughs) Your oh, two really truths am. and a lie must just be out of control. <laughs> Basically, when I, they find out I'm from Alaska, they just want to ask about that. So I don't ever have to worry about, like, I've got the built-in icebreaker that's just <laughs> baked into who I am and where I'm from. Good But pun. I think those, those are the people, <laughs> thank you, those are the people that you need to um, keep in mind a little bit too. Like, you know, I'm, I have a group of people that I play with where we'll play complex stuff, but like, this is a game I can play with my in-laws. This is a game that I can play with family members who are a little bit younger, a little bit older. And like, not every game in your collection has to be the most complicated stuff. 
you want to be able to have fun things and you want to be able to have fun things that you can get replay value out of, right? Like it does nobody any good if you have some stuff that you have on your shelf just because it's easy or just because it's accessible, um, but you hate playing it because people are going to gravitate towards that if you're in a mixed group. So like you need to, you need to have those games that are light enough for anybody to pick up but you still enjoy playing, I think are just as important as like your favorite games on your shelf. And I think that's sort of where Jurassic Park Danger shines is just that it's something that I do enjoy playing. And while, you know, I can be like, well, it's not particularly complicated. It's checkers. Like it's a version of checkers that I like and that other people will love. So yes, I do think that this is a board game that board game people should have on their shelf and own. Definitely your mileage may vary. Um, but we're not all playing. I mean, kudos to you if your group basically plays eight-hour games every Saturday, and that's that's the way it works. But for the rest <laughs> of us, you need a spectrum, and this is a really good game for the bottom end of the spectrum. Uh, anything else you want to add about Jurassic Park Danger? Thank you for doing the danger correctly on there. Um, just that the atmosphere is always as important. I assume you listened to the Jurassic Park theme while you were playing it. We had uh, Jurassic Park 3 on in the background during my last playthrough. It was uh, um, it was a little distracting. It's not a particularly good movie. I went with uh, Danger, Danger, High Voltage uh, by uh, The Electric Six just on a constant loop. Uh, I'm not fun. Uh, I'm not good. I like it. <laughs> That's good. You don't need to have theme. Yeah. Um, but no, it's a, it's a fun game. Um, I'm, I'm glad we got to play it. And I think I actually will continue to play it with my wife. It's, it's a good two-player game that we can break out on a Thursday night. Um, when you know the night before we're supposed to go out but we don't feel like it uh and that has been our episode on jurassic park danger danger uh anything anything else that that's good that's good i'm good on my end no i'm i'm good so brock as always man how do people get a hold of you let's do uh let's give them some opportunities to connect Friends, please come connect with me at Brock Wilbur on all social media platforms or BrockWilbur.com. Uh, please uh, seek out my other podcasts and shows on iTunes just by putting in my dumb, dumb name. Uh, and uh, please rate and review this show. Uh, Matt, where can people find you and find your work? Primarily just on Twitter um, is the best way to follow me. It's Labsplice, L-A-B-S-P-L-I-C-E. You can follow my film criticism. You can follow this podcast. Um, you can follow another podcast that I'm doing with a mutual friend of ours, Matt Donato, that's focused on horror films. I have two more episodes to record of that show today. So you got me when my voice was fresh. Congratulations, Brock. Um, Your voice yeah, already we'll, we'll, already has this like, delightful rasp to it. So like, I can't imagine what episode three is going to sound like here today. Oh, also, thank you to our editor, Terrence Wiggins. You could find him at the Black Nerd on social media sites. Please hire him to edit your stuff. Thank you, Terrence, and thank you once again to the, our theme music, because I feel like we don't we don't always thank them at the end of every episode, and it's such a fucking good song. It's such a fucking good song. All right, thank you guys for listening. Have a good time. Bye-bye-bye-bye-bye. Bye. Dress Park Danger! <laughs> Why? I just wanted to get it done one more time before we were finished. Sandy.